Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. There's something to be said about knowing the facts surrounding historical events. It's something altogether different to actually see the places where those facts took root. Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, is with us again today to serve as our tour guide to just such amazing places. Lincoln, on our last program, you identified what happened to Christianity as it was absorbed by Rome. But that's not the end of the story. As you mentioned last time, something happened after that. What's on our schedule today? What are we going to be seeing? Let's go back a bit, how Christianity took root in Rome. Uh-huh. And, and uh, on this visit, we went to uh, something that I didn't even really know existed. There's the St. Paul's Church. I don't think it's called church, but a little out from the center of Rome is this huge basilica, or well, I wouldn't call it a cathedral because I know it's not a formal cathedral, but this huge church that has been somewhat rebuilt since the fire of some decades ago, but it's extremely modern, well-presented, and, and almost as big as St. Peter's. And it's the uh, burial place of St. Paul, supposedly. Mm. And also they have what they claim, and you never know what these claims, <laughs> are the, the literal manacles or the uh, the chains that bound Paul when he was imprisoned in Rome. Okay. Whether it's absolutely as they say or not, there is no question that Paul was in Rome. And uh, the Roman Catholic Church make much of Peter, and of course Jesus promised to him to be a leader. There's no question Jesus made that promise. It all hinges on whether the play on Peter's name, Peter, the rock, whether when Jesus says, on this rock I'll build my church on this, whether it was totally on Peter or, or Jesus himself was the rock. You know, that him says, Jesus, the rock, the solid rock. Right. Peter was not that solid at that time. In fact, he, he, when Jesus made those comments, he was rehabilitating him from total <laughs> denial. But Peter was a leader, and, and Paul definitely was the ideological leader of Christianity. He gave it what a recent papal document even called a Hellenistic or a uh, Greek spin. Not that the theology was perverted, but he restated the concepts of Judaism and of Jesus' life in the, the language and the thought patterns of, of the Greek culture that characterized the Roman world. And it's worth remembering that, that Rome was enamored with Greek culture. Yes. They saw themselves as the continuation of Greek culture, just as the United States, when it was founded. You know, there's no question if you go to Washington and open your eyes, you'll see that it was a very conscious attempt to recreate the classical culture of Greece and Rome. Mm-hmm. And so Rome was into this same idea itself, and, and, and Paul was an enabler of that, that mindset. So it was very interesting to see this huge church, and, and something that I don't yet quite know what it means, but there were pictures on the ceiling, very high up, of all the popes, uh, an actual picture of their face, uh, crawling around the edge, and I noticed that there were only about three or four empty spaces left. <laughs> if time goes on, they're going to have a huge problem. <laughs> they'll build another to church. <laughs> So maybe they know something I don't know. Yeah, really? <laughs> Although I, I was reminded, as I think I've said on this program before, there is a prophecy within the Catholic tradition from about the year 1100 from uh, St. Malachy of Ireland. He, he prophesied about all the popes 
by description, not by name, to the mm. end of time. And according to his outline, this is the last pope. So, really? really? Uh, we don't know. But I think there's some indication that we're at the end of, as Francis Fukuyama, a historian, said a few decades ago, we're at the end of history. Yes, yes. So things are playing themselves out. Well, yes, it was, it was interesting to see evidence of the consolidation of this marriage of uh, Christianity and the state power. And uh, then as we continued, uh, we started to see uh, evidence of what that did. Maybe I shouldn't leave Rome this quick, and, and I might bounce back at it, but we headed up more into northern Italy, up into the Piedmont area, where those of our listeners, perhaps some of them, may have read a book by Ellen White called Great Controversy. Yes, yes. And uh, during our tour, I was in charge of reading a selection from that book every morning to the tour attendees, because Ellen White in that book, uh, often drawing from different historians, tells the story uh, not just of the Reformation, but of pre-Reformation days of people that stood for their faith against this church-state alliance. And the, uh, the Waldenses were one. They were a group very early on, before the real dawn of the Reformation, that felt that the Bible was important. Curiously enough, you know, most people have forgotten. There was a period when the Catholic Church forbade its members to read it, which was quite easy because most people didn't read anyhow. Yeah. Books were inordinately expensive. So all they had to do was to uh, put a chain on the Bible and have the priest thunder against anyone who dared to read it. He was the one that would interpret it. But here, the Waldenses cherished their personal knowledge of the Bible. They copied it off and surreptitiously transported it throughout Europe under cover of being salesmen. But they hid up in the mountain valleys. And uh, as the political forces, egged on by the religious forces, took exception, there were many efforts to root them out and to just exterminate them. One of the most moving experiences of our tour was to go up to uh, Torre Pellici, a little town, again, way up in the mountains, mm -hmm. and to uh, take our tour bus to the point where we felt it was going to fall off the mountain. <laughs> so we stopped, and we walked a little bit up into the woods, and then a guide uh, took us further, and, and there was a, a little cleft in the side of the hill that was like a rabbit hole. And, and, and those of you that have seen rabbit holes in, in, in rocky soil, you know that the hole will go down and twist to the side and right, turn up again. Right, right, right. And so with the flashlight, we did that. You had to bend and turn. Bend, I mean, really bend, because it wasn't more than about two foot high. And then you suddenly emerge into a uh, quite a large cave that was really formed of a huge cleft in the rock that had closed at the top with just a, a slight bleeding of light in a couple of spots. But then underneath was this quite large area that the, that the whole church would meet in regularly. Mm. Mm. And they would feel fairly safe from, from discovery and from violence. But that was not always the case, because in another similar case, a few miles away, uh, I think it was about a thousand plus men, women and children had taken refuge in a cave, and, and the soldiers came up and built a fire on the entrance oh. and uh, suffocated every one of them. Oh. You know, when I hear stories like this, and I and I, I see sites like this, I just I, I wish that that present day Christianity could say, "Look, how fortunate we are, how blessed we are, how amazing it is that we can just get in our car, and put on our nice clothes, and drive over to church, sit in the pew, and sing a song and pray without anyone bursting in and burning something at the doorway." We have lost our ability to appreciate what we have, and when that happens, Lincoln. 
When that happens, aren't we in grave danger of losing it? Am I on the right track here? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, we shouldn't dwell in you know in a depressing sense on those times because they were bad. As the Reformation got underway, there was uh, people forget there was the Counter Reformation, which was a concerted effort by the established church to stop this movement dead in its tracks. It included the formation of the Jesuit order, uh, which, you know, now we think they're just uh, intellectuals and so on, which they always aspired to, but uh, they used that to uh, invent new theology that that wrote uh, corrupted church out of prophecy (laughs) and made it all symbolic. But beyond that, the Jesuits led the way in persecutions and and their own... uh, uh, oaths were quite explicit on on uh, the violence that they were called upon to, to visit upon any heretic. Uh, as well as that, there were political moves to extirpate uh, dissidents. Uh, the Counter-Reformation, as well as some other forces, made it an incredibly uh, violent time for anybody that stepped away from what the state and the church was telling you to believe and to do. But, you know, we can't dwell on that, but we need to remember it because it's it's our history. It's a big part of why today, in most Western countries, religious liberty, even though we fuss about it at the edges, you know, it's an accepted norm of human behavior. We recognize the individual has certain rights on on spiritual things, but that was not accepted back at that period. When you look at our country, this United States of America, this country we're in here, do you ever hear echoes of Rome in what's happening and the words that are said on Capitol Hill and the words that are said even in churches? Do you ever hear echoes, and does it make you cringe just a little bit? Sometimes, but, you know, we've got a long way to go yet. But the, I think the most dangerous uh, development of late is, while we need to be accepting of all faiths, and, and uh, you know, I think pluralism is a good environment for, for any practice of faith, I do believe there's forgetfulness in, in the, the Protestant West and in America. There's a, there's a forgetfulness of the dynamic that enabled the persecutions, the Dark Ages and immediately after the Reformation. Who would ever suggest that under the Constitution we restrict Roman Catholics or anybody from yes. practicing their faith? Yes. As Senator Santorum said in the last presidential election, and he's a good, faithful Roman Catholic, he said Protestantism's absent in America. Mm-hmm. I don't fully know what he means by that, but he's correct. The memory of Protestants about what made them Protestants and the inherent danger, particularly of Roman Catholicism, not as dangerous individuals, but the structure of a church that is also a state. You know, there's there's just, I'm I'm sort of at a loss of words because I don't want to sound pejorative, but that's the classic problem. We don't want under the U.S. Constitution and, and the memory of, bad times, we don't want to allow any religion political power. But today, the Roman Catholic Church, which is fairly resurgent and and increasingly dominant in political activities in the United States, I think is a uh, an incipient threat, not because they mean badly, but because they are structured wrongly. But as far as their right to believe and practice anything, none of us should criticize their right and and, you know, Seventh-day Adventist, Roman Catholic, uh, Mormon, Buddhist, whatever, uh, we should allow people the freedom to choose those systems. But any system that tries to gain political power, and we see it in the Middle East with Sharia law being forced upon societies and, and, and 
horrible things are happening because of that. We know inherently that's wrong, but I think our God is a little down in, in, in the Protestant West, and we need to remind ourselves of these histories. Well, I can't think of a better way of reminding ourselves of these histories than to listen to Lincoln Steed talk about his recent trip over there to Italy to see these amazing sights. And Lincoln, thank you very much for sharing them with us today. We appreciate that. Thank you, Lincoln. You're welcome. And listener, we have a website for you, www.libertymagazine.org. You can listen to this program and our other programs. You can also read articles from Liberty Magazine. That is what it's all about, trying to keep these things alive. What he saw there, what he learned there, that's what's in Liberty Magazine. We need to remind ourselves in visual pictures and in words and in actions how precious it is to keep those things separated. The church and the state, they need to remain separated. That's all at libertymagazine.org. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine, inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today.